Amen. Thank you again to all of our veterans for your service. Amen. All right. Um, this morning, uh, we are going to be talking about two faithful men. Uh, that's the title of the sermon this morning. Uh, and this marks a, a change kind of in the book of Philippians. We're changing focus here. Uh, we started off the book of Philippians with a Christ-centered mission. Uh, then we talked about a Christ-centered church. And now the focus is going to, through this uh, this part of scripture here, kind of changes the focus onto us as individuals uh, in having a Christ-centered life. Okay, and so, uh, and Paul does that with the example of these uh, two very faithful men. Now, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the example of Christ, uh, Christ being the ultimate example here. Uh, but then these are two men that exemplify that Christ-like behavior. And so what Paul is basically, is essentially telling us to do is, is look at these two men and copy their behavior in our lives as well. And so it's very important to have uh, living examples of Christ-like behavior. We need to have people that we can look to uh, that show uh, how to live as a Christian uh, in life. And so we have to have those people to look to in our church, in our home, and we're going to be talking about that this morning. And so let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer before we open up scripture. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this morning, Lord, and, and thank you for all of the, the men and women that uh, are examples to us, Lord, uh, in how to live and how to have Christ-like uh, behavior in our lives. I pray that as we go through your word this morning, that you would just keep our hearts and our minds open to what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. And so let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read through this whole passage this morning, and then we're going to talk about some other stuff, and then we'll get back to the passage, all right? And so uh, let's go ahead and start at verse 19. It says, uh, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy uh, to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. And then moving on to verse 25, it says, uh, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick uh, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him uh, the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Pay attention to that part of that verse right there. Hold such men in esteem. Uh, that's going to be really the focus of 
our sermon this morning. And then in verse 30, it says, uh, because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. So here, uh, Paul uses two men, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, as examples of men uh, who were humble and worked together in a spirit of unity. And so remember this, this theme of humility and unity uh, continues throughout the book of uh, Philippians. And so now he's using Timothy and Epaphroditus uh, as examples of that humility and unity there. Uh, so Paul is expecting here that the spirit of Timothy and Epaphroditus uh, would be reflected in the life of the people of the church of Philippi. And so, but before we look at these two specific men, um, I, want, I want to first look at this morning uh, the need for role models. Uh, the need for role models. It's such a very important thing that we have role models in our lives. Uh, again, we need to have people that we can look to uh, to copy their behavior. It's not enough, really, for us to just read it uh, in a book and understand how to be, right? We need to have examples of those things in our life. And I can say that this is such an important thing for me as well uh, as someone who uh, grew up in a home without a father. Uh, I really saw that absence there. Uh, and I had to look to other men uh, as examples of good, godly uh, behavior as a father. And so it's one of the things that I was really scared of uh, when I had children. I, I said, how am I going to be a father to my children when I never had an, a good example of a father growing up? And what I thought about was all of the men that were in my life when I was growing up, men at church, that... I could look to as good examples of how to be a father, even though a lot of those men never knew that I was looking at them uh, for, for those examples. They were good examples to me. And so we have a very important need for role models in our lives. And so, you know, before the elephant in the room here, first uh, and foremost, our uh, greatest role model, our ultimate role model is Christ. Right? And so before we get into any other earthly role models, our ultimate role model is Christ. And so we should only be looking at other role models by how closely they follow Christ. Right? And so our ultimate role model is Christ. And Paul talks about this earlier in Philippians. This is when, what we went over before. But just looking at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which is, was also in Christ Jesus. Right? And so uh, our first and biggest role model is Jesus Christ. The mind of Christ should be in us and in our role models as well. So, uh, But now let's look at role models at home. Right, And so we think about this. There is a hierarchy of things uh, in this world. right? And we see the breaking down of families uh, in our society because... Our society doesn't put value on the family anymore. Um, understand the family is a social institution, right? Uh, it's an important thing. It's not just a, a private uh, agreement that you have with, with people that you're living with. This is a very important institution here. And so the biggest 
thing that we need to look at. The, the first thing is our role models at home. Uh, our role models at home are so important, our parents, right, when we're growing up. And then we as parents are the role models, right? And so the first people uh, that a child looks to with how to live life is their parents. For young men, they look to their fathers for to how to be, right? And young men look to their mothers for uh, what their spouse should be like. And then vice versa, for young girls, they look to their mother to how to be in life, and they look to their fathers for the husband that they will one day find. And so men, if you don't like uh, the man that your daughter has chosen, right, look in the mirror because she learned it from you, right? It's the same thing, it's the same thing for mothers, right? If you don't like the girl that your boy is with, look in a mirror because your, hus- your son lo- learned that from you, right? And so uh, we have to remember that. Uh, we are our children's first role models. And so Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verses, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 6 uh, verses 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So this is one of my favorite verses, right? Uh, and it's kind of funny too. So what's, what it's saying here is, children, uh, obey your father and lo- mother so that you, know, you can live long on the earth. In other words, if you don't obey your parents, you're not going to live long on the earth. <laughs> but uh, it's so important for children to honor their fa- father and mother. And what we can see here, too, is that the, the Bible says that children are looking to their parents. That's what it's saying here. And so it's not just telling children to do this, but it should also be speaking to parents here that your children are looking to you, Right. And so give them someone to honor. Don't just expect it from them. Give them someone to honor. You see, uh, when we talk about psychology a little bit, you know, parents love their They have it in them to love their children unconditionally. Children do not have the same thing towards their parents. That We need to understand that. Uh, children uh, look at you to fulfill their needs. And children are not loyal in that respect. They learn that towards their parents. And so we cannot just expect our children to automatically have that towards us. You have to show them, right? You have to show them that. And so let's look at the first role model in the home, uh, the father, right? Uh, Now, I'm a complementarian. I believe that men and women are equal in the home, but have different roles. And so egalitarianism is men and women are equal in every way and they can fulfill whatever role, right? That's, that's not what the Bible says, right? And so uh, anyway, uh, so for the father, we go to the very next verse uh, in Ephesians chapter six. It says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so, fathers, your responsibility to your children is to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So instruction and spiritual guidance in your home, is those are your first two priorities, right? 
Uh, we can go to other verses in the Bible, like uh, I believe it's 1 Timothy 5, 8, that talks about, you know, if any man does not provide for his own, uh, he's worse than an unbeliever. I right? am paraphrasing there a little bit, but you can look that up later. So what we see, the responsibility for the man in the home is to train his children and bring them up in the, in the admonition of the Lord. So spiritual uh, and life instruction, as well as um, providing food, providing for your family. So that's the responsibility of the man. And so when your children are looking to you, you need to be doing those things, those basic things. Uh, children need to know how to be a good adult. Now, the mother in the home. Uh, we can go to the Proverbs woman. Uh, now, this is one of the most famous, famous examples of a, a good wife and mother. Uh, this is really what every a woman should strive to be. Uh, it's gotten harder and harder in our world today. Understand that this was at a time where women didn't work outside the home, that these were their only responsibilities. I wish that we could go back there. This is what I believe every family should strive for. Uh, but Proverbs 31 and verses 27 through 30 kind of sum uh, up the rest of the proverb here. It says, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness her children rise up and call her blessed her husband also he and he praises her many daughters have done well but you excel them all charm is deceitful and beauty is passing but a woman who fears the lord she shall be praised so what's the most important thing for a woman as well that she fears the lord and so we see that with the men, too. The men, their, their first thing is the training and admonition of the Lord. Women, the, the, one, the woman that fears the Lord shall be praised. So you might see a theme going here. Good role models are people who point other people towards the Lord. And this is so true in the family. Now, I did want to also mention uh, this morning grandparents. Because I've heard in premarital counseling, a lot of people have issues with this. What role do grandparents have uh, in your family in training of your children? And I'll, I'll just let the Bible kind of speak here. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So what role do grandparents have uh, in the direct family? They don't. And so the, there's a very important thing to understand here. Your role as a grandparent really was to bring up your children, and then that way your children would do a good job raising their children, right? Um, that is, that, that's the role of the grandparents, right? If, uh, and this is usually we see, I see this more so, uh, with women in premarital counseling, that women want to ask their mom on how to do everything, right? Um, grandparents should not be raising their grandchildren. That's another problem that's going on with society today, right? I'm not saying that that's not necessary sometimes. We, in fact, we do see it in the Bible as well with Timothy. Uh, he was raised by his mother and his grandmother. Uh, just because that happened, though, is not the way that God desires things to be. But we see here, though, we'll see in, in another verse that 
uh, grandparents are not just kicked to the curb, right? Uh, once you are a grandparent, your role is now switched. Uh, your role has gone from raising children to now receiving uh, honor from your children. Uh, it, we see this in Proverbs 17, verse 6. It says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. And so children's children are the crown of old men, right? So basically, if you've done a good job raising your children, your grandchildren are like a crown to you because they will be raised well also, right? And the, the job of children then, uh, now talking about the parents of the grandchildren, right, is to honor their parents at that point. And so uh, now you've gone from a place where, you should, where you're raising children, now you are receiving honor from your children. That's, that's a good place to be, right? And so, while parents now no longer, or sorry, while grandparents no longer raise their, ki raise their grandchildren, uh, they get to be in a place where they get to watch uh, as their grandchildren are getting raised and they get to have the fun part, right? Uh, we always talk about where grandparents, you know, when you get to get your kids on weekends and you get to be the fun grandparent, right? That's, that's an awesome thing. And that's biblical, right? Now there's another saying though too is if you if you don't raise your children well you will raise your grandchildren but if you do raise your children well you get to have fun with your grandchildren i'm probably butchering that saying but you guys get what i get what i mean and so that we talk about these role models at home right um there's also role models though it's very similar uh we have role models at church and so we call each other brother and sister. Uh, we also have people who are mentors to us. Uh, we, you know, we have big brothers, right, big sisters. Uh, and we have people who are like father figures or mother figures to us. And this is a very biblical concept uh, in churches. And so let's look at our role models at church. And so the first one here, and I'm going to get myself in a little bit of trouble now because you're going to hold me to this. Uh, but the first role model here is supposed to be the pastor. Right? So the pastor is supposed to be an example of Christ-like behavior in church. And so Titus chapter 2, uh, verse 1, and if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, um, Titus chapter 2, we're going to be there for a bit because it gives a lot of instruction here. It says, but as for you, uh, speaking to Titus here, this is Paul writing this, says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And then verses 7 through 8, it says, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. And so the pastor is supposed to be a good example of good works and Christ-like behavior in a church. And so Paul goes on, or in this passage also, Paul gives instruction for Titus to give to men and women uh, in the church. It says, or in his church, it says here for men, uh, the specific instruction giving to men, it says in Titus chapter 2 verse 2, that the older men may be sober, reverent, 
temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. And then verse 7, it says, uh, for younger men, it says, in all things... Oh, that was the wrong verse. I'm going to paraphrase that because I don't have that here. I put typed in the wrong verse. But it says for the younger men to also be sober, uh, sober-minded there. And so uh, Timothy was supposed to be giving instruction, uh, being a good example himself, as well as uh, being a, or giving instruction to the older men to be good examples to the younger men. And so one of the, one of the very big responsibilities of older men in our church is to guide the younger men in the way to go. And I talked about this a little bit with my own situation that I looked to those men uh, in church. I'm very much a product of the older men in my life uh, because I didn't have a father figure. I had to look outside for that. And I've seen some very bad examples that I'm like, okay, well, that's what not to do, right? And then I've seen also some very good examples uh, of men with their families. And I also have men in my life right now. Uh, you know, I, I've talked about Brother Lewis a couple times. He's been like a big brother to me. You know, if I was to be Timothy, he would be Paul, right? Uh, that, that's the kind of relationship that we have. And then also there's other men that at the seminary, like Brother Miller and uh, a few others that have spoken into my life uh, that have been good examples for me. There's also men here at this church that I very much do uh, look up to. And I, I won't embarrass you by saying your names. So, uh, but uh, understand that younger men look to older men with how to be in their lives. And so uh, we need to be good examples for the younger generation. Now, it's the same thing for women. Uh, women need to be example. All older women need to be examples to the younger women uh, in church. Uh, verses 3 through 5 in Titus chapter 2, it says, The older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And so older women are supposed to be good examples to the younger women, basically teaching them how to be good wives to their husbands. I, I wish that, I, and I do see that here, but I wish that this was more prev prevalent in our society today. Uh, it seems like, you know, the younger generation, I'm talking about both men and women, uh, are not listening to their elders. Uh, in fact, you know, they make fun of older people in society now. You know, you, I'm sure you've all heard the term, okay, boomer, right? That's what younger people are saying to older people because it's like, oh, well, you don't really have any wisdom, right? They, they don't understand that today. And there's such an importance uh, in life to pay attention to what older people have been through. We need to be looking to them uh, for how to live life. And so this is very true uh, for women also. Now, I did want to add something here. Uh, now, I'm sure everybody here will agree with me, but this is something, again, that our world today uh, and Christianity at large today uh, is confusing. Uh, now, the role of women in church is to train younger women 
and to train the children. That's the role of women in church. Now, that doesn't mean that women can't serve in other ways. Uh, like we have Sister Joyce here, who is our secretary, right? There are ministry roles for women, but that, that's not a teaching role. That's not a role of authority in church. Now, people don't like to hear this, but this comes straight out of the Bible. The Bible could not be more clear on this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. And this is the ver these are the verses that they try to attack all the time. Right? It says, and this is Paul saying this, And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And that's, that's saved there. That's not talking about salvation, uh, you know, going to heaven salvation. It's not talking about justification there. That's talking about, you know, the types of works that would redeem, uh, are redeeming qualities in a woman. And so what this is talking about is, that this, what this is an issue of is a matter of authority in church. Uh, women are to not have uh, a pastor role, essentially. And so that's, that's very clearly taught in the Bible. Now, I, like I said, I'm probably preaching to the, to the choir here, but uh, anybody listening online, if you have a problem with that, well, you're listening to the wrong stream. So, uh, but uh, that is the role of women, is to train the younger women and to train the children. That's, that's what women need to be focused on. Now, men have their roles, and like I said, I'm a complementarian. Women are e men and women are equal in value, uh, but their roles are very separate. And that's the way God designed things to be. And so now, with all that said, talking about role models, right, we can finally get into uh, the two main characters of the sermon today, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, these are two examples of good, godly men that we are to model uh, in our lives. And so we see here with Timothy that uh, Paul and Timothy have this very close relationship. They do have this father-son type relationship. And so Paul, or Timothy has been a companion of Paul's for a while at this point. And so we see here that Timothy is to be sent uh, to the Philippian church. Now, when I first read that, I was thinking, okay, well, Timothy was sent. Uh, then I read it closer. No, Timothy was to be sent. So Timothy had not been sent yet, but Paul was going to send Timothy. It says in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 19, it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. And so Timothy uh, was very much trusted by Paul. Now, remember, he was the, his son in the faith. This says this in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. It says, To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, uh, when Paul was writing to Timothy, uh, he said he was the son in the faith. And this, is a, this is a very, very close relationship. Uh, Paul had basically taken Timothy under his wing, and Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. And so 
Timothy was trusted by Paul to go uh, to Philippi and give an account uh, for the state of the church there. And so Paul wanted to know how the church was really doing uh, from someone that he trusted. And so uh, Timothy also uh, understand that in this passage, the church at Philippi, they knew Timothy. Timothy was with Paul uh, when he was there uh, evangelizing. And so we can see that actually in Acts chapter 16. Uh, don't have to turn there this morning, but it's there. Um, and so what we see is that Paul greatly cared for the church that he had help, uh, helped establish, right? So the reason why the Philippian church came about uh, was because Paul was there evangelizing, and then he helped them organize into a church. And so Paul doesn't just, you know, throw the Philippian church by the wayside after this. And he doesn't also, he also doesn't trust just anyone uh, to come and give him a report of the church. But no, he sends his most trusted person uh, to go and give a report to him. So that's why he's wanting to send uh, Timothy there. We also see in the next verses that Timothy is like-minded with Paul. And that's a pretty big compliment uh, there. So Paul is saying that Timothy uh, has a similar mindset to the one that he has. Uh, if we look at the context of this passage, and that, that is the mind of Christ there, uh, that Paul is encouraging all of them to have. And so uh, Timothy being like-minded with Paul is also, being, is also having the mind of Christ there. And so... Philippians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21 says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now, this is, there's a bit of a contrast in these two verses here. So Timothy's like-minded with Paul, uh, and but he doesn't have anyone else that he can count on the way that he counts on Timothy. Why? Uh, because he says that for all seek their own and not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Paul is talking about other ministers here. And so he's talking about other ministers that are really out seeking their own uh, things. They're, all, they're in it for themselves, right? Uh, now, we think about this in our world today. That we can see this all over the place, but it shows us here in the Bible that this was just as much of a problem for them at that time. People, it was actually running rampant at the time where people were uh, claiming to be of Christ, but were really just out for their own gain there. And this is what Paul is worried about and why he wants to send Timothy, uh, because he can, again, trust Timothy. That Timothy had the same mindset as Paul as being all in for Christ, being humble and focused on unity, like this passage says. And so uh, Timothy has that like-mindedness with Paul. We also see that one of the reasons why Timothy is sent, or why, why Timothy was to be sent, uh, is because Timothy has a proven character. And so we see this in verse 22. It says, But you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. So Timothy ha has proven character, not just to anyone, but to the Philippian church. Again, they knew him. 
uh, and Timothy had proven himself. He had shown time and time again that he was focused on Christ uh, and not like these ones that were out seeking their own gain, right? And so Timothy had that proven character there. Timothy was a proven man of God. Uh, we need to be looking to men like that in our lives. Uh, not just men that say that they are uh, believers, but men that show that they are believers in Christ. James talks about this a lot, talks about um, the way the world perceives uh, us. And we can't just claim to have salvation. We have to show other people that we are saved. We have to be acting uh, it out in our life. And so we see here, so again, Timothy is this great example of a godly man. Uh, and Paul states this. Uh, he has that proven character. Um, we also see the man that did get sent uh, was a godly man too. And that man is uh, Epaphroditus. And we actually only see, uh, we don't know that much about Epaphroditus uh, other than what is written in the book of Philippians. Right? So he's mentioned twice uh, in the book of Philippians, and this is the first time he's also mentioned in chapter 4, uh, verse 18. Uh, but Epaphroditus is a very good man of God, and Paul really praises Epaphroditus uh, about as good as, as he can. And so let's read here, uh, Epaphroditus being sent, and it says this in verse 25. It says, Yet... I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now listen to the praises that Paul gives here for Epaphroditus. First, he says, My brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. And so we see like five uh, things here that he says that Epaphroditus is. Uh, first one, a brother, right? So Paul considered pa Epaphroditus a brother, meaning uh, a brother or sister in Christ there. So Epaphroditus, we know for sure that he is a saved uh, individual. Uh, but also past that, uh, Paul considered Epaphroditus a fellow worker. And so this is someone who had proven that uh, he was willing to work for the sake of Christ. We also see that Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier. And I was reading about this, and I was thinking, okay, well, was Paul a soldier? Was Epaphroditus a soldier? Well, I, I believe what Paul is speaking about here is being a soldier uh, for Christ, for the gospel. Uh, Paul repeatedly talks about uh, the work of ministry being a battle. Uh, this is spiritual warfare here. And so Paul considered Epaphroditus a fellow soldier in that spiritual warfare. And so, uh, again, very high praise coming from Paul. Also, yeah, he says Epaphroditus is a messenger. And so, remember, uh, uh, Epaphroditus was being sent to the Philippian church by Paul, but Epaphroditus had come from the Philippian church to see Paul. And so, uh, Epaphroditus was sent there uh, to give Paul uh, a message. And so that's the, he's a man that is really sold out for the gospel. Being a messenger was no small thing at that time. 
It often involved great distances, and it's not like they could just hop in a car and drive. Uh, a lot of the, the most common way of getting to places at that time was walking. And so uh, Paul being in Rome at this time, it was quite a distance, okay? And so uh, also uh, Paul says that Epaphroditus is a minister. And so Epaphroditus was serving uh, for the sake of the gospel. He was uh, serving Paul at that time. He ministered to Paul's need. And so, again, very high praises here. Uh, Epaphroditus has really shown his worth. And so we, again, should be looking up to men like this. We also see that the reason uh, why Paul was sending Epaphroditus back uh, before Timothy uh, was that Epaphroditus was distressed uh, when, he heard, when he knew that the Philippian church was worried about him. And so he's distressed over this. So Epaphroditus doesn't just care about his own needs being met. He cares because he's willing to go all the way back there uh, in a hurry because uh, he knew that the Philippian church was worried about him. Right? That, that's, that's where Epaphroditus' heart was. It says here in verses 26 through 28, it says, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed, because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may re rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. I love the way that that starts off with, with talking about how Epaphroditus was longing for them all. Uh, if you remember back in the book of Philippians, uh, Paul talked about his longing to be with the Philippian church. And so Epaphroditus has this, again, this same mindset uh, that he was longing to get back, to there, back there for them because he, he was worried about them, worrying that he was sick. And, you know, and it shows here that he was sick almost unto death. And so Epaphroditus just didn't just have some small illness here. Uh, he almost died. Okay, and we see, we'll, we'll actually see the reason why he almost died here was that uh, he was working for Christ. And so we see that Epaphroditus actually became sick uh, while working for Christ. Now, we don't know the whole details of this, but it does seem that it was basically in the line of duty here, right? Like, that Epaphroditus was serving Christ and something happened. He got sick be during it or even because of his work for Christ. And so uh, that's something here that is really awesome about, about Epaphroditus is that he doesn't really show a regard for his own life uh, over that of spreading the gospel. Um, and it says here in verses 29 through 30, it says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life uh, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. And so um, when Paul says that their service was lacking, uh, he's not, this is not an insult towards the Philippian church. This is really with the implication that the Philippian church wasn't able, and so Epaphroditus was doing it in their stead. Uh, but 
uh, he was doing the service while getting you know, sick without regard for his own life. And that's, that's how all-in Epaphroditus was. And so it says here that we should hold such men in esteem, right? That we need to be looking at men like Epaphroditus and Timothy uh, and hold that in high esteem. That way we can be like that, right? And for men, that's looking at other men in our church. And for women, that's looking at other older women in our church. We need, we need to find examples for us to be like. That leads me to my last point here. Uh, again, that we should be looking up to people like this. We should be looking for people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, right? Uh, there's many other examples in the Bible uh, for us to be like. But again, I, want, I just want to reiterate here, verse 29. It says, Receive him, therefore, with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Uh, it doesn't say hold these men in esteem. It says hold such men in esteem. In other words, look at Timothy and Epaphroditus. And men like that, hold them in esteem. That means that we need to be looking to other living examples of Christ-like behavior in our lives and emulating that in our lives. You see, again, we can read about Christ-like behavior in the Bible, but we need to see what it looks like. And we need to learn how to spot that in our churches, in our homes. And if we're not being those examples or if we're not looking at those examples, well, then we need to fix that, right? Uh, we need to, we need to uh, have this behavior in our lives, just like Paul was telling the Philippians to do. With that this morning... I would like to have a song of invitation. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, the first thing that you need to do is repent of your sin. That means to turn around uh, in your life and then believe in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And so those are the two things that are very necessary. We kind of talked about this this morning. Uh, it's not enough just to believe that Jesus was a historical figure. It's not, that's not enough. The James says even the demons do believe and tremble, right? You have to repent. You have to have repentance in your life. If you repent and believe, with that you will have everlasting life. You'll have a relationship with Jesus Christ forever, and you can never lose it. Because at that point, he owns you. You are his. And we want to be in God's hands because those are some strong hands to be in. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, do that. Repent and believe.